When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Good to be back, Owen. Yep. Today we're talking regrets. And I just asked you, do you have any financial regrets? And I don't think I have any big ones. I don't think I've been investing long enough to have any huge financial regrets. Most of them are quite minor. Yeah. What about a stock? Like a stock, did you buy anything that went to zero and you're like, oh. Oh, I bought a few things that collapsed, but. Not really regrets. I don't think they were regrets because that was a time where I wasn't investing. I was just, I wasn't even trading. I was just stuffing around with a brokerage account. Yeah, right. And a bit of spare change. Fair enough. Fair enough. For me, I don't really have, oh, I guess you could classify like business mistakes as, or business regrets because they were financial. When we started the business, I knew, I used to listen to the How I Built This podcast by Guy Raz in the US and all of the people that started businesses would come on and say, yeah, no, I wish I didn't sell part of my company, blah, blah, blah. I probably do regret that I gave away or like sold part of the company earlier on. But then you'd be like, if you think about that, if I didn't take that outside investment, which wasn't much money, like what would have been different? It's like that butterfly effect thing. Other than investments, I've got heaps. But did you learn from them? Yeah, some of them I did. Like Slater and Gord, when I invested in that and invested family money in that, that prompted me for my mom, who I was investing for, to stick to really profitable businesses. So that was kind of a reflection. Then I did a heap of like, like obviously then I had a, like a heap of like companies that I recommended that were really poor companies. Well, not poor companies. I just didn't, weren't good investments and they went bad. And so there is a little bit of regret there and I just more like the pain that comes from that. But 
nothing that like stands out as like, this was a disaster for me. So like, I didn't buy an investment property, didn't use debt, didn't do all that sort of junk. So I think we're just two people not, don't have that many regrets. Yeah. At least financial regrets. I've <laughs> got plenty of other ones. Yeah. Well, I think it's different. If, if it just impacts me, then I'm okay. I don't really regret it. It's kind of the lesson to move on. But if it actually impacted other people, then I think that would hurt me in a different way. That's why a lot of investors don't publicly talk about their investments because they think so many things can go wrong. It's more like to go wrong by sharing than there is to go right. Like you don't really get the accolades when things go well, but when they go bad, people blame you. So when we're both very lucky that we started investing in our 20s. So we don't have the regret that I know a lot of people do write in about of, I wish I'd started earlier. Yeah, that's the number one. Yeah, that's the number one piece of feedback. And to be honest, I do have that a little bit. Yeah. Like, you started investing in your early 20s, didn't you? Yeah, I did. But I still think I could have been earlier. So there's always that little bit. But probably not even started earlier, but probably just invested more sooner. Uh, that's probably the big one for me. Well, did you, did you start in your 20s or did you start in your late teens, like 18, 19? I'd say 18 wasn't investing. It was the mucking around phase and 19 was probably when I started investing properly. That's still incredible. So that's, yeah, you, you can't regret that. That's awesome. No, I don't really regret not investing when I was a high school student. No, no, fair enough. But yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I just wish I saved a little bit more. But anyway, we're going to talk about regrets. I'm going to try and find five ways to minimize some of those regrets based on what people tend to tell us. And uh, what we've read about and what we see uh, from the community as well. So, I mean, there are many, but I, I guess how do we start? How do we start talking about this? We, we're kind of stretched to get to five, but yeah, what do you reckon? Yeah. The first thing that I would say that has helped me avoid having too many regrets in life in general is just start taking action now. And so that would be my first piece of advice when it comes to minimizing your financial regrets, start taking action now because instead of holding on to that feeling of, I regret that I didn't do this then, I regret I didn't know this then, I can say, okay, I've got these feelings, but how can I turn this into something a bit more positive going forwards? Because I can't, I know you've talked about your chime machine before on the podcast, but unfortunately I don't have one of those. So I can't go back 10 years and change past Kate's decision, but I can go, all right, I can't change that, but I can change what I do next. And we talk about taking small steps with your finances all the time. And so thinking, what is a small step I can do this week to change my financial future in a positive direction? So the taking action part is just kind of like the break the ice. You know, it's just like smash straight through it and like break out of that analysis paralysis. That yeah, like stuck that in. regret spiral. Yeah. A lot of people do get caught up in that. That's why we say you just focus on one thing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Like it's just like one thing to get the ball rolling. It could be, I don't know, just even look at your bank statement. That could be the, literally the first achievement that you don't do anything. Just look at it or download an app or listen to the podcast, whatever it might be. And that's because there are so many choices. Yeah. You might regret not saving for the past five years because if you had, maybe you would have been in a position to buy the new car or a house deposit now. But you can't change. The money's already been spent. Maybe you can sell a bit of the things on Gumtree, but that doesn't really solve that problem. So thinking, what can I do positive now? I can set up a separate bank account. That can be my first positive step for my house deposit or whatever my savings goal is. I can review my spending. As you said, check in with your bank account. Think of what are some small actionable steps I can take to actually change the next five years of my spending. The thing is, I don't regret starting. No way. I think that's awesome. But... I do regret 
not putting more money in when I had the chance. Instead, I went and bought some, bought some crap and spent it, in, you know, just in random things. But um, that's probably the bit I do regret. But that's very minor compared to the other one, which is I didn't start. At least I made mistakes. I'd rather make the mistakes trying than not try at all and don't make any. Because the, one of the questions that we always get is like property or shares. Like I feel like that's not just us. It's like since eternity, since the stock market was invented, that question's <laughs> been asked. And uh, Dave Gow actually put this in his book and he showed that it doesn't matter. Just pick one. As long as you do something, you're going to be better off. But if you just are stuck in the middle of a property for shares or this broker or that, you just never get anything done. You never go anywhere. And so just remember, I guess the thing is, even if you make a decision now, you can reverse it. Like, sure, your stock might fall, your ETF might fall, your property might fall, but you can learn and you can grow from that. So yeah, just rip the Band-Aid off. I know it's easy for us to say that. Yeah, it's very easy for us to say that, having done it, having studied it. But just pick one thing and just make that your thing. Yeah. And I think you've touched on the second suggestion I had for minimizing financial regrets is actually reflecting on the way you make decisions. Because if you think about how can I take action now and not regret this in the future, what can you do today to make that decision? Because if you look back and think, am I going to regret in 10 years not starting investing or not starting savings? You might, you might not. But thinking, projecting yourself into the future. What does future Kate want? It works. Regret minimization definitely works. Like the big one for me was I just wanted to make sure if I was going to take risk in starting a business, I wanted to do that before. Ideally, you don't have to, but I wanted to do that before kids and before I had more financial responsibilities like a mortgage because it just becomes so much harder. And it also gives you more time to recover. So if you take a risk to start a business or to do a side hustle that turns into something, the earlier you do that, like the sooner you do that, the more chance there is to make up for like mistakes. Uh, and same with investing. If you think about making a poor investment now, if you put money into something or whatever, you've got more time to make it up. So kind of like the time heals wounds, but also for investing. So to your point around reflecting on the way you make decisions, I still think the big thing that people get wrong in this regard, and it kind of goes against the first point, is they don't actually know what they want or why they want to do something. So they're trying to create a decision-making framework, but they don't know what it is. Like we had this thing, which is still available on the website for our members, where you could go and you could do a DIY investment plan. And it's just like a 20-page PDF that you can fill in. And you could put in like, I'm going to invest this way. My tax situation is this, so I'll try and do that. It was trying to give people a kind of a guidebook to making their own decisions with money. So in the future, if you said in this PDF, well... I was just going to go and invest in five ETFs and that was my limit. And in the future, you get suckered into trying to invest in a new thematic ETF. You could go back to this document and be like, well, I said this in the past and here's why I said it. But a lot of people, once they put that into kind of motion, the first of all, they don't know how to change it. Like they think that they can't change it. And the second thing is they also think that like, well, I don't know if I'm making the right decision in the first place. And so there seems to be this like super steep learning curve to just make any decision in finance. But if you just listen to this podcast, there's some really simple stuff. Like try and spend less than you earn. And you can do that by cutting some fat or trying to earn more. So we focus on careers a lot here. Uh, you can make simple decisions in your super fund, which will change your life. You can avoid things like investment properties or cryptocurrencies or all of those things that seem too good to be true uh, because they often are. And basically just try and spend money on the things that make you happy and just being deliberate about that. And then once you do that, 
your decisions around that can be a lot like the rest of them kind of just fall into place. Yeah. And your decision-making process does evolve as you learn more and as you grow and your life plans change and you might move overseas. Who knows what will happen? And your plan, if you write it down, you can change it and you can change the way you invest in your strategy and your goals. Just because you invest in this ETF today does not mean you have to still invest in that ETF in five years' time. You might change your mind and you might change your whole investment strategy. And that's okay. And that's probably something worth keeping in mind is a lot of these financial decisions, as long as they're the right step in the general direction, they're not fatal. You can change them, recover from them, pivot them. In a previous episode, we talked about Annie Duke's book, How to Decide, and the idea of resulting, which is where you make a decision and then there's an outcome and you judge your decision based on the outcome. But the thing is, in investing, you can't control the outcomes. So it's like you're making a decision and then you're, so say the best example is like you buy an invest, you make an investment like an ETF or even a property or an ETF uh, share. You make a decision, I'm going to buy Commonwealth Bank shares, but then Commonwealth Bank shares fall 5%. Was that a bad decision or a good decision? In financial terms, the thing that you can measure, it was a bad decision. But that might've been a really good decision longer term. And the problem that we have is, is that when we tie the quality of the decision to those outcomes, we actually end up down a road where we don't actually know if the original process was good or bad. And so you kind of just have to be like generally correct rather than specifically correct. So that means like, okay, I know dollar cost averaging seems to work, might not always. I know low fees seem to work, might not always. I know ETFs are diversified and diversified seems good, not always, but most of the time. And so we kind of have to do these things. There was that uh, a quote from, which I was looking at before we started recording from Marshall Goldsmith in the US who said that you you don't control the outcomes. So basically, a lot of people think of the outcomes as a way to define themselves and define if they're good or bad. But like, if you think about investing in the stock market, there's a fair chance that 40% of the stock, so there was a study done that showed that 40% of US stocks disappeared after 30 years, right? And so you could buy all those stocks and you'd think you're terrible, but you might've missed the other 60%. It might still be a good decision. So I guess what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way, I went off the kind of track here, <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is like, you will get better in time and keep iterating. We do all of our notes and our downloads in a Google Doc now because we realize that if we put something in a PDF and you guys go and download it, and then after a year, we want to change it, you've still got the original PDF, which may have had the thing that we've since updated. So we put them in Google Docs now so it can be more agile and we can change. Hmm. Think of your life like a Google Doc. Owen's life advice for the day. Yeah. Forever changing. Be the Google Doc. Yeah, that was it. (laughs) (laughs) The third one is more around setting yourself up for success through goal setting. And one of the reasons I put this here was when I was thinking about the reasons I set goals and write it down is I didn't think about it at the time, but now reflecting on it, I can go back and look at what I wrote down five years ago. And one of the things, it can be quite unfair to judge yourself and have regrets for something that wasn't even a priority five years ago. So you might not have even been planning to buy a house five years ago. Your investing might not have been on your list of goals. You might not have, travel might have been your goal that year. And now you're sitting back five years ago, oh, I really regret not saving five years ago, but that wasn't actually a priority for you back then. So I think that's something I can look back at what I said five to 10 years ago and go, okay, that wasn't part of past Kate's plan or goals. And so why am I sitting here regretting what past Kate did when 
I did what I wanted to do at the time. So you're saying like, so you bought a house and you might not have thought that you were going to do that five years ago. So you can't regret the the decisions that you made five years ago because you want to buy a house now. Yeah. I'm not regretting something I didn't do five years ago when I, it wasn't even part of my life plan back then. Yeah. Was that a really complicated way to explain it? No, no, no. It was really good. You know, the best example of this I can think of is I think we mentioned on the show before is Ronald Wayne. He was the third co-founder of Apple. Remember that example? He owned 10% of Apple, right? 10% of Apple. And he bought it for $800 and I'm pretty sure he sold it for $1,200 a few days later, right? And if we just go, I'll just quickly get this up to tell you how much Apple would be worth today. So his shareholding would be worth, I think, around $230 billion if he held onto his Apple shares. And everyone's like, whoa, that's such a bad decision. How terrible is that? And he said words to the effect of, I made the best decision that I could at the time, given the information that I had. You know, Apple was just a startup. He had multiple other things that he was working on. And so to your point, it's like he didn't know that Apple was going to be what it was. He had so many other things on his mind at the time. And just like you, the younger version of Kate had so many other things on her mind. It just happens that in a few years, property was the thing. Yeah, like if at 18 you didn't know anything about investing and taxes, mm. like most Australians, you can't sit here at 30 and go, I'm really angry at 18-year-old me because I didn't invest, I didn't do X, Y, Z, because 18-year-old, you didn't know that stuff and that wasn't even part of your life plan at the time. So that's, I think, being kind to your past self and that's what I think writing down your goals and your investment plans and the reason why you buy and sell things helps because you can really see what you were thinking at that point in time. Yeah, absolutely. So the antidote of that is actually setting goals. That's my recommendation. Yeah, set a goal so that then you have some sort of general view of where you want to go. And it's a frozen point in time. Yeah. It changes, but that's where you were at that point. I think a lot of times we can't clearly articulate our goals too. Like one thing I've realized recently is I still, 10 years ago, I reckon that version of myself still thought the way about investing that I do now, but it's had a really difficult time actually coming to terms with what exactly it was. And so I feel like even though when I, because I go back and read my stuff, I used to write myself letters. Oh, 18 um, year old Owen was writing uh, yeah, letters Yeah, well, a little bit older than that, Kate. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> more like 22, 23 year old Owen. But yeah, I did. And I look back at them and they were all basically wrong. Like all of my versions of like, this is what the future holds were wrong. All of them. Forecasts are hard. Forecasts are hard, yeah, especially about the future. But the thing that I noticed is that I was trying to articulate the thing which eventually kind of came true for me. I was trying. I just didn't know how to word it. I didn't know where it was going to be. I had this kind of like thing that I had, but I just didn't know how it expressed itself. So just one thing you can do to try and do this as, as well as the goals. We did an episode not too long ago on building a, creating a vision board which is just available in a Google Doc. And you can go in and you can put something down. Uh, You can decide, like, what do I like, dislike? What every day do I get happiness from? And try and build your life around that. So there's a whole Google Doc for that and you can use that and there's an episode on that. And Kate, people can set goals pretty easy too. Pick one short, one medium, one long-term goal. I'm a big fan of keeping it simple, not overcomplicating it. I've uh, gone through the phase where I had 100 different financial goals and you don't really make meaningful progress towards all of them at once. There's just too much going on. So keep it as simple as possible. Just focus on a few things. Yep. Pick one thing. And you're a big fan of just picking one goal. 
Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, just like pick one thing for each of those buckets. But yeah, yeah. I'm just like, I've just got one. And then everything else kind of takes or, or like just falls in around that. Whereas people think you need like a full plan. I can't believe the financial advice industry still gives people statements of advice that are 100 pages. Some advice groups are like, well, first of all, no one's going to read that. Second of all, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> so Hopefully number, that'll change. Yeah. Number four is sometimes you've just got to spend it. You've got to spend the money, Kate. Sometimes you do and sometimes you're just in that. So go easy on yourself? Yeah, I think go easy on yourself. And it's a tricky balance once you start learning about investing and the power of investing. How do you balance saving, investing and spending your money all at the same time? And I think it really does make you think about it in terms of trade-offs. Do I spend $1,000 today going on that trip with my friends or can I invest that money? And if I only have a limited amount of resources, which most of us do, just we've got our nine to five, we don't have endless amounts of money to invest and spend on everything. So we have to make choices. If we only have $1,000 left over each month, do we put that money to travel or do we put that money to investing? Do we put it in our super or do we buy some gifts for friends? Like how do we balance that? And it's hard. And I think it's an ongoing struggle. I never Mm. get to one single answer. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. I think that spending on experiences is the old cliche. It makes sense. And I think People, as they get older, I think you just have to learn to live with regret, right? And so one of the things that we often find is that people who try and plan everything down to the T have the most regret. Well, at least that's what I've kind of found. And I'll give you an example. A lot of people that pursue the financial independence movement, you would just minimize their expenses as much as possible. This is just a generalization, of course. Not all, it's not all like this, but this is a generalization where they minimize expenses. The one thing that you don't have and this is a perpetual struggle with this movement and the kind of critics of it will say this, is that the one thing that you will never get back is your time. And so the biggest regret I see from the financial independence community is, oh, I just wish I spent a little bit more money, just a little bit more money. Like they go on and achieve financial success and however they define that. But it's just like, I wish it achieved a little bit more. And this goes back to the prior point, whereas if you can just be a little bit flexible in your mindset, you'll probably be able to maximize your happiness or at least get closer to that. And I think that might sound like I was knocking on the financial independence movement. I'm not. I think it's a wonderful thing. But it's just that what I've kind of had is like the common thread in most of the takeaways. Yeah. And just thinking you might regret not reaching your savings goal or your investing goal for the year, but you might also regret saying no to all those activities with friends. Sure, there's ways you can reduce the spending here, but you might regret not going to that wedding or to that holiday or to that event. So sometimes I think you just need to spend the money and not have that regret there. And so it's a balancing, will I regret not reaching my financial goals or will I regret not spending that time and that money with Mm. that family or on that experience? Absolutely. Like um, Matt from Aussie Firebug talked about this at our event, how he said that, you know, he didn't go away with mates. I think it was like to Europe or somewhere they went overseas. And that's the biggest regret he had from his 20s. I personally think that those are the real regrets from in financial sense. It's like, where could I have spent money on an experience that I didn't take? Because you long for that experience and you long for that occasion. And, you know, most of the studies seem to suggest that the experiences pay dividends, like those memory dividends, where you remembering the thought is just as good as being there. And that's where I think you've got to just realize it's okay to go spend money. And I took, this is coming from a hypocrite. I've spent 10 years trying to figure that out. So, um, But now you're spending some money. Yeah, spend it. Spend it on experiences, just not on the other crap. 
that all the materialistic stuff like cars and clothes and all that yucky stuff. But if that's your jam, go for it. <laughs> Just not for me. Uh, so number five is start talking about money. Yeah. And I think this comes down to you, you often don't know what you don't know. And so a lot of our regrets can come back to the fact we didn't know about something. We didn't know about investing in our 20s. We didn't know how important it was to save money or to sort out our super fund because no one told us. And to sort of minimize that moving forwards, having these conversations about money with all people in your life, whether it's talking about your savings goals or saying, oh, have you checked in with your super recently? I've heard mine's doing X, Y, Z. Just having conversations about money because it will often open up a world of awareness to someone around you and you might not even realize it's happening. And they can maybe in their 20s or their 30s, they can go, oh, I've discovered investing. I can now learn about this. So I think this helps with the overall minimizing of financial regrets by just having the knowledge out there more. Yeah. the podcast, I, We've talked about this before, but that's why these podcasts do so well because we're in your ear, we're talking directly to you and we're sharing honest experiences. But your friends and family, you never know who's like a closeted finance person. Like there are so many people that you talk to, you're like, oh, you're interested in the stock market too. Or you're, oh, you want to run a business. And you're just like, oh, wow. Like it's like this, and once it catches on, it's kind of like infectious. The other person's like, oh, did you see this? Or did they you share that? They want to share their goals, their yeah. tips with you. Yeah. I've spoken to so many people who don't even know that their super is their money. They just see it as an extra tax that gets taken on their paycheck. And that's not their fault. Like a lot of the times the super funds weren't really in the business of getting you involved with your super because if you had multiple super funds and they were all collecting fees, they're quite happy to have it run along that way. But if you start talking to your friend and go, hey, I switched to a low fee super fund on the weekend and I'm doing this, that might open up a whole different world for them. And they actually know oh, I can change my super. My super's my money. I can log into my MyGov account and actually see my balances and I have some control over it. And because you don't know what you don't know. And so just having these conversations, you just don't know what ripple effect this will have. Yeah, it's funny because um, in the venture capital land, so where like startup companies and whatever, one of the super effective things that many startups do is they try and go into like incubators. It's called incubators or like places or environments where they can scale up. And the way they do that is they try and put the venture capitalists who invest in these small ideas and whatever, they try and put like-minded people together because if you're learning together, you're going to get ideas, even if you don't agree with them, even if they sound wild or crazy, some of those ideas might be the spark that you need to then take that on board and develop it in your own way. And I think that's a really important process. Like If you think about it, we don't really go through cohorts of life, like you do in that instance with businesses. So if there's a way to go through like a cohort and have friends, and we, I used to call it a money buddy, which sounds kind of cheesy because it reminded me, of, like I always use the analogy of going to the gym with a friend. The friend is much more, even they'll have a down day when you have an up day and you're trying to motivate them and then vice versa, so they're trying to motivate you. And you want them when you get in the gym, you want them to be good at doing something that you're not good at doing and they can support you and you can give each other tips and all that sort of stuff. And that's just basically the secret is trying to be open to those ideas, isn't it? So yeah, start talking to your friends. We had a, someone write in this morning, actually didn't tell you about this, and say that they share the podcast with everyone, everyone who will talk to them. So um, so they just- Hopefully they, just, they keep talking to you. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a poor recommendation. So, um, but no, seriously, thank you. And I think that's just a great way to do it. So Kate, we've got five things. It'd be lovely to have a book on something like this, but we've got five things. Number one, start taking action now. 
Uh, just even a little thing. You don't have to be financial. It can be simple. Turn those feelings of regret into something positive. Yep. Just take it and just try one thing. Uh, number two, reflect on the way you make those decisions and try not to judge yourself based on the outcome of a decision immediately. Number three. Set yourself up for success by writing down your goals or even just what you're thinking at this point in time. So you've got something to reflect on in five to 10 years time. Yep. Number four was sometimes you've just got to spend it. Have a bit of fun. Money's like, well, it's a finance podcast, but it's not all like, you know, spreadsheets and budgeting. That's probably the last thing we want you to think. And you can use it for a lot of positive things in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And number five, Kate? Start talking about money with anyone who'll listen, but it doesn't have to be big, scary stuff like, what are you getting paid? It could just be, oh, I saved money at Woolies this weekend doing X, Y, Z. My newly discovered tip is the the bachelor handbag Effie Zahos told me about at the end of the day at Coles and Woolies because they have to get rid of the hot chooks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, apparently in her day they called it the bachelor handbag i was very confused when she said it but she said that on air because i listened to the episode did she yeah say she it? did the bachelor handbag i love that and i'm visibly confused that's <laughs> because like you've got a dinner for one well, bachelorette she's like well the modern version yeah you got a dinner for one you go to woolies or coles you get the discounted chook you go back yeah. chuck it in a sandwich or make a salad with it <laughs> Pristine and it's saving money. <laughs> I mean, that was my main takeaway from the conversation. So. <laughs> Spoke to to Effie Zahos, probably the one of the greatest financial educators in the country ever, and bachelor's handbag. I love that. So this, <laughs> the thing that I took away from that conversation is, and it just so happens, is like using your utility provider to get discounts on things and like even groceries in that example. Yeah, the discounted gift cards. So yeah. if you're already going to Woolies, one well, might as well buy a 5 to 10% discounted. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, and get it through like your phone company, whatever. Anyway, that's awesome. So we've got those five things. If you want to get in contact with us, you can find us on social media. Please be aware of the imitators. We love to hear from you. If you've got other ways that you'd like to minimize financial regrets, it's such an important topic. What is your biggest regret? Let us know if you're if you're bold enough, and and we would love to hear from you. We can share it in an upcoming episode. And I'd probably just say if you've got a financial regret, chances are there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of other people with a similar regret, and yeah. so you're not alone. And maybe finding some people to talk to about it, whether it's listening to a podcast or finding an online finance community or something in real life, can help you work through that. Absolutely, it can yeah. Our regrets doesn't don't seem that crazy, but um, I'm sure we'll we'll rack them up, and that's just part of it. I don't regret losing money on individual shares. I don't regret losing money on ETFs. You know, none of that stuff. I don't think that's a real regret, to be honest. I think that's just a lesson learned. We'll characterize it that so I can sleep at night. But um, Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. 
and don't forget to do your own research. Want to create the perfect ETF portfolio? Join InvestSmart's free live masterclass webinar on the 19th of June to learn how to build a portfolio of exchange-traded funds that match your financial goals. Hosted by money expert Effie Zahos and Paul Clitheroe, one of Australia's leading financial voices and the chair of InvestSmart. You'll hear about the evolving economic landscape and what it means for investors, as well as top tips on selecting the best ETFs. Ask your questions live and transform your investment strategy. Visit investsmart.com.au forward slash events to grab your place today. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core in a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.